We got a big news cycle this week, and we're going to break it down. I'm Nico Fidelli. And I'm Brittany Fidelli. And this is For, For the, the Republic. Republic. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Ask not what your country can do for you. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Welcome back to another episode of For the Republic. We're so happy you're here. If you're watching today's episode, smash that like button and share it with all your friends. If you're listening, leave us a five-star review. And if you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and clicking the bell icon to be notified when a new episode drops every Sunday night at 7 p.m. So we got a big news cycle this week and we're gonna break it down for you. What do we got first? So our first story is about the DOJ uh, unleashing the FBI on parents who attend school board meetings. So uh, parents lately have been attending school board meetings and becoming a lot more vocal about either the curriculum mm -hmm. or uh, content that's in the school um, or things that are being taught by teachers to their to their kids that they find inappropriate. Uh, a lot of the, the information or a lot of the content is sexually explicit. Um, it includes a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily want a teacher mm -hmm. to educate your, your child on, something that maybe you'd want to educate them on yourself or you know, let them discover once they hit adulthood and uh, <coughs> are mature, yeah. <laughs> not children. Yeah. But uh, parents are coming to these school board meetings. Uh, there's some been some uh, issues with critical race theory and things like that. And so they've uh, they've come and they've been uh, vocal about their disgust with whatever the curriculum is. So or, what is the FBI going to investigate? Well, I guess the FBI is looking for uh, parents who cause a, a disruption or mm. cause a threat against the school board or the school administration. So they're uh, they're looking to basically label these parents as some somewhat of like a domestic terrorist and then prevent them from being able to go to future meetings. Um, and, and I'm not sure what, what all that would prevent them from in the future as right. being labeled as a domestic terrorist. Yeah. So um, the, the real question is like, what counts as a threat yeah. against the school board? So, I mean, if, if a parent so much as says like, you know, you're going to answer for what you're teaching our kids. Yeah. Does that count as a threat against the school right, board right. or the administration? So it's there's not a lot of uh, clarity as to what actually counts as a threat or as a uh, a disturbance against the school board in these meetings. But we've, we're seeing a lot of this, a lot of parents coming out and being very vocal about their children's education lately. Yeah. So do you think that this is a way of um, because from what I understand, this was kind of pushed by the teachers union. So is this their way of trying to protect uh, their agenda and the left in being ingrained in our public school system? Right. So I, I think the school union, uh, the teachers union is pretty much trying to prevent the teachers from being limited on what they can teach. Mm -hmm. uh, so they want they want to be able to open the curriculum up to whatever they happen to to want to teach at the time, whether it's critical race theory or whether it's uh, explicit sexual education. Uh, they want to have uh, books and things in the library that kids are able to access that uh, would be considered um, raunchy or considered mm. uh, too much uh, above their heads. They want to be able to involve all of those things in the school and not be limited to what they have. So yeah, they're, I think they're fighting back um, or pushing for this mostly because they, first off, they don't want uh, parents involved in the school curriculum. Right, right. I think a lot of them try to keep parents out of what their kids are being taught. But then once parents are aware of it, they don't want parents to have a, a, an opinion or a say on what their kids are taught. In fact, um, I can't even remember who it was. 
Um, but somebody, and, and you might remember, came out this week and said that it's not the parent's job to know uh, what ki- what their kids are being taught, that that's the teacher's job. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did hear something about that. So, I'm not sure who said that, though. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. There's somebody high in the, in the Board of Education. But anyways, the point being that they want kind of an unlimited platform on what they can teach your your children or teach the their students so they don't want parents to have a say in that yeah that's very interesting i i think that this my personal opinion is an abuse of power um mm-hmm. from the our de- department of justice I, d- I don't think that the fbi has any jurisdiction in investigating any of this because mm-hmm. i mean they're the federal bureau investigative service <laughs> so i mean like it's in the name that they're supposed to handle federal cases so i mean like even if there was a group of parents or that said that maybe in like we'll say Wisconsin or something that 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 actually committed a a, a crime in a in a meeting like I mean the, the FBI wouldn't be involved in that like the F- right so I think that that's where the the label of domestic terrorism comes in yeah. because then they can get the FBI involved by using the words domestic terrorism yeah yeah so I, I think that's where that comes from I think that what they're trying to do is connect that like this is some sort of movement that all the parents are connected which I mean these. I mean, yes, we're we're united in this front that we want to protect our school system, but these are individual cases of our parents, right. you know, speaking on behalf of their kids and wanting control of what their kids are being taught. So mm-hmm. that kind of, uh, I want to shift the focus just a little bit using the story as kind of a crutch. Um, what what are the dangers that lie when we allow our teachers to teach whatever they want or we allow uh, our institutions to kind of crack down on uh, parents who are, are, are against certain prin- are things being taught in the school. I think actually you, right now what we're seeing in the educational system is the result of that. Yeah. Because it, it, that's really been happening for the last several decades where teachers have uh, been able to teach pretty much unbridled. They don't really have a, a limitation to what they're able to teach. And there's been a lot of stuff, especially over the last few years, that's come out, particularly concerning sexual education. Mm-hmm. Um, but going as, as, as young as kindergarten, that children are being educated on things like self-pleasure and, um, you know, uh, same parent households and things like that things that in kindergarten you don't really would would not think about naturally it's not something that it's almost indoctrinating not teaching right and then you you're seeing that pushed all the way up into the college level where college students are being indoctrinated to believe liberal ideas and liberal thinking and often punished when their thinking goes against the mainstream or when they're um when their thinking goes against their their college professors' beliefs or things like that. You know, that's something that even when I was in college, uh, I was seeing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's been happening for the last several years. And I think that right now what we see currently where where teachers are teaching all of these things that most, I think most parents find inappropriate, whether they speak up about it or not, I think that's the result of of this kind of atmosphere. Yeah. So uh, do you think that this this stunt by the DOJ and the FBI, do you think that it'll deter parents from attending these meetings? I actually think it might embolden parents. I mm-hmm. think it might do the opposite. I think, uh, or at least I, I hope that that's going to be the, the opposite. It's going to be the opposite effect. I think you're going to see parents saying that's, that's first off, it's not your job to limit our yeah. ability to speak on behalf of our, our kids and our students. And I think if it goes any further and you actually start to see retaliation, I think you're going to see an even bigger spike in homeschooling, which you've already seen mm-hmm. a lot of lately due to COVID mandates, but I think that you might see a bigger spike in, in uh, homeschooling because of, of this. And it, it's really sad because the public education system, it does have a lot of great things to offer, like yeah. sports and things that yeah. kids can't necessarily access uh, being homeschooled. But I definitely, uh, you know, 
support homeschooling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, as a homeschooler myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've been somebody who was on the other side of that where I had, you know, most of my social experiences were because of public school. So I was always adamant about, you know, sending our future kids to public school. But, you know, with the climate right now and, you know, do I want to actually go through the through the headaches and the hassles of knowing every little thing that my teacher teaches my kid because it could be something that, you know, is not only something I don't agree with, but something that is like contrary to what is deemed appropriate in society. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we're we kind of pushing the line on some things here that, you know, there's in, in the media cycle a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a parent who uh, talked about a couple of books that were in the, the library mm -hmm. for, you know, elementary students to read. And they had mm -hmm. explicit pictures. Mm -hmm. um, they had pictures of, you know. I believe a, it was supposed to be like a, a middle schooler's uh, sexual awakening, yeah, sexual I believe, awakening. is what yeah. the uh, the the theme of the book was. Yeah. Um. So I I guess the content was was quite explicit. Yeah. Um. From my understanding, it didn't quite cross the lines of pornographic, but the right. um the description was was quite. Yeah. Yeah. Quite and explicit. I think there was uh, I can't exactly remember. So I mean, you know, feel free to correct me or uh, put down in the comment what it actually was. But I think the, there was another book, and the other book was talking about a student having a sexual experience with somebody who was older, like somebody who... What? I believe that's actually the same book. Oh, is it the yeah, same yeah. book? I believe that was actually yeah. the same book. It was, um, the author came out and defended it, but actually uh, wanted to remain like anonymous in, in his defense. <laughs> oh, how because convenient. He was getting like death threats and stuff from <laughs> yeah. parents. So it was it was quite a, a big thing. But yeah, yeah, I believe that the, the whole controversy, there, there were two separate books, but the biggest one being uh, like a middle schooler's sexual awakening. Yeah. I don't understand why um, anybody would think that it's okay for a middle school to have a sexual awakening yeah. uh, that's a pretty young age to have any kind of awakening. So. And I mean, if if that's something that you want to teach your kid in your household, I guess like more power to you. But like, how does, how does anybody justify that being involved in school? Like, how is it, that an educational almost, thing? It almost feels like sexual abuse in my yeah. opinion Yeah. Um, to be exposing, exposing kids to things that they're, they're not ready for. And you know, and there, there are some there are some people who are going to advocate and say like, well, what they're being exposed to by their peers is is uh, much worse or uh, much crazier, and 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 to some extent that might be the case. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, peer exposure to things is different than adult exposure to things. Yeah. You know, adults exposing kids to things that they're not ready for, or that they're not mature enough to understand, or not mature enough to handle, um, or giving them a, a false sense of maturity. Like because we're teaching you about this, you're ready to handle a sexual awakening in middle school. Right. You know, that's it's it's just inappropriate you know so there's there's always going to be things that happen amongst peers that you would hate to see happen but the the fact of the matter is that's a it's a lot different situation when you have somebody actually educating your child on, yeah, on yeah. these matters so yeah so i mean uh, we'll see what happens with this but i encourage you if you're parents and you're sending your kids to public school that you are involved in mm -hmm. the you take advantage of every single resource that you have uh, I know that there's tools that you can use, like there's pamphlets out there that you can read from that when you go to your next meeting, if you're kind of a shy person or whatever. I mean, I encourage you to kind of stand up, use the tools that you have and, you know, speak out for what you believe in and what you think is appropriate and inappropriate in school. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I definitely don't think that parents should, you know, be by the wayside or kind of be silent in this. You know, I think right. there's strength in numbers and I, I, 
I don't think that the FBI is going to put every single parent who speaks up against school on a domestic terrorist list. I think that th there's going to be some sort of repercussion for this. Right, right. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So uh, our next story that we have uh, that was made our made rounds in the media cycle is another uh, approval poll uh, from Joe Biden, and it has dropped. The national poll average is thirty eight percent approval average. Approval yeah. average. So, right. so th this is shocking numbers. Well, I mean, not shocking if you're paying attention, but <laughs> shocking in the fact that th there hasn't really been a president under under 40 percent in quite some time. I'm actually so, kind of shocked it took him this long to get to 38 yeah, percent. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there's the shocker <laughs> that he, he just this is courtesy of Fox News stands just at 38 percent with a disapproval at 53 percent. That's down from 42 to 50, 42 percent to 50 percent approval slash disapproval rating. Uh, for Biden in a survey last month. So just from last month, he went from 42% uh, approval to 38% with 50% 50, 50 disapproval to mm -hmm. 53%. So, right. so we're, we're trending in the wrong direction here uh, for Although the president. At, at this rate, if with him dropping numbers that fast, you know, maybe by... Uh... Maybe by Christmas he'll be into the teens. <laughs> can, can we get that far? That probably not that fast. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what what do you think are some of some of the reasons why we're continuing to see Biden's approval rating tank? I mean, I think if you want to know details, you've got to watch the first thirteen episodes of this podcast. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, to, there you go, nice plug. To, to sum it up, I I think pretty much everything that's happened in the last, uh, I would say, five or six months have have just been astronomically disappointing. Uh, the administration has been dishonest on on multiple subjects and multiple mm -hmm. occasions. They refuse to answer questions. They refuse to be truthful about what's going on. But you have the border crisis. You have the crisis in Afghanistan. You have the fact that Joe Biden. Biden campaigned on kicking COVID-19's butt and how uh, President Trump needed to answer, now former President Trump needed to answer for the number of deaths that had occurred on his watch due to COVID-19. And we've hmm. actually seen almost as many deaths at this point, uh, 10 months into the year, not even quite 10 months into the year uh, at, with uh, Biden as president as we did during the entire COVID pandemic um, under Trump. So I think that all of those things are... are uh, are really coming to to bite him in the back. The you know the fact that he has um, on multiple occasions thrown his own uh, people, his own uh, country under the bus. Mm -hmm. uh, he's been very uh, very dishonest. So I think uh, I think all of those things are, are yeah. kind of leading to the approval rating. I think the fact that there really hasn't been a pause in bad news or right. a mishandling of situations in the last few months. I mean, it's been thing after thing after thing after thing. It's it hasn't really. Calm down. And if yeah. you if you think back any, which people don't like to do, um, but if you think back, back any, I can't think of a, really of a of a week recently in the last few months that we've had that's just been like a calm week where we haven't had like a, a major disaster or yeah. a major flub from the, yeah, from yeah. the White House. Yeah. The, so many blunders coming from this administration uh, in all in all fronts, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's foreign policy, whether it's domestic, whether it's, you know, taxes, whether it's economics, everything. Everything has just been a blunder for this administration. It seems that this administration can't really do anything right. Um, I mean, it, it, not as far as like, you know, if you're on the left side or the right side, but it seems like whatever they try to accomplish, they, they don't do it correctly ever. Right. It, it seems like there's always a blunder. And you see that really uh, profoundly even within the Democratic Party. So just I think it, I think it was Monday that uh, Biden 
a call for a meeting and they talked about the the bills, the infrastructure bill and that big spending bill. Mm-hmm. And he kind of uh, shot both of them dead in the water when he was trying to help. Um, there's some moderate Democrats that have come out and said, you've Biden has really killed these bills for us. Mm-hmm. Um, just by the way he talked about it, by the way he, you know, uh, I guess, advertised it, if you will, lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, it really put a blunder on what the Democrat Party wanted to see go forward. And mm-hmm. so it, not only are we not probably going to see this inf- uh, this spending bill, thank God, which is huge, but it might have jeopardized the infrastructure bill. Yeah. And the thing is, I think um, the fact that if you disagree with this administration at all, uh, Joe Biden has been very quick to make you an enemy mm. of the country or <clears throat> of uh, your state or of the administration itself. So, I mean, even just this week, uh, one of the representatives and and I, her name escapes me, but um, she was not in support of the spending bill, the the three point five trillion dollar spending bill, and she was followed into the bathroom. Um, oh by, yeah, I did read by that, a couple yeah. people, yeah. Um, an illegal alien, and some. Uh, I don't know, crazy person or whatever, (laughs) they followed her into the bathroom and were harassing her about not approving the spending bill. And Joe Biden said that it was part of the process. Wow. So (laughs) not not even sticking up for her and saying this is unacceptable. It doesn't matter where you stand or what side of politics you stand on. It's not acceptable to be harassed. And I believe, actually, if if I'm not mistaken, I believe she's a Democratic representative. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Peter Ducey actually grilled Saki on this this week and said, you know, uh, what's the deal? And she said, you know, it's part of the process. And he said, has Joe Biden ever been followed into the bathroom and harassed yeah. about a spending bill or, or yeah. so something to that effect? So um, but he's it just no defense for her at all. So he's just been very quick. If you don't agree with this administration and you don't agree with their policies or their uh, procedures, then he's very quick to label you an enemy of the state. So, yeah, and I think it, that's it's, another it's going to it's going to come back to bite uh his own his own base his own fan base his his own constituents his his own party for us all the same people (laughs) yeah they're 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 gonna end up imploding on themselves like the 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 democrat party uh was so unified because they had a common enemy of trump Mm -hmm. and once that enemy kind of has been diffused uh for now uh, it seems that you know whenever there's some stirring in the water it's like an explosion. It's like a nuclear war. So, I mean, there, there's this infrastructure bill, though it was it's expensive, was a bipartisan bill. Mm-hmm. Both sides wanted to get something done as far as infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like that this bill is probably going to be dead in the water because it was attached to this big spending bill. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, the spending bill has just a lot of craziness and a mm-hmm. lot of stuff that uh, they're they're just unwinding. Um, in fact, I've, I've seen a, a few people like on Facebook and things say, since they don't know what's all contained in this, you know, 2000 page document, uh, let's slip in their term limits yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. for Congress. <laughs> so, um, I thought that was pretty funny, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, like even to the effect of, um, the fines that the, uh, that OSHA would hand out to, um, private sector businesses who violate the uh, COVID-19 mm-hmm. vaccination policy. So like if you have over 100 employees, you're required or mandated to have your employees vaccinated. Um, and that's that's something that has been handed down from the White House. So they actually slipped into that $3.5 trillion bill that if you uh, if you actually violate the terms, it was a $14,000 fine. They've raised it from, from $14,000 to $70,000 up wow. to $700,000 per 
per violation. However they deem, however serious they deem the violation. So up to $700,000 per violation. So it's like not even a cap, not even like $700,000 total that you can be fined. What makes it like a $70,000 offense between uh, compared to a $700,000 yeah, offense. Yeah, I don't know. I guess if your unvaccinated person is is uh, a Biden voter, oh. it's probably a $70,000. Oh, okay. And if, if you're if you're a minority and you're not vaccinated, it's 70,000, but if you're a white cisgender male, yeah. Then so, I don't know. I don't even know cuz they I don't think it. that was detailed. I don't think it was detailed <laughs> yeah. in there. But it would be up to OSHA I guess to decide the seriousness of the violation and yeah. then uh, be able to hand down the fine. So like just crazy stuff like that that was slipped into this bill that's coming out and people are like, "Oh my gosh, there's no way we want this passed." Uh, or at least people who are paying attention, I should say, yeah. don't want it passed. So Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> Biden continuing to tank. <laughs> so <laughs> We'll see what happens. We'll see what his approval rating is next week. <laughs> but moving on for now, um, this uh, story comes courtesy of the Daily Wire uh, covering the uh, school shooter in Texas. Uh, so there was a school shooting in Texas. An 18-year-old high school student in Texas was accused of uh, gunning down multiple people at his school. He was released uh, from jail on bail. The uh, very, the, I think it was actually within 24 hours. Yeah, I think it was the next day. Um, so... So he was released after uh, posting a $75,000 bail. Mm-hmm. So those who haven't really followed the story, those who have just heard about the school shooting, uh, this is this shooting is kind of uh, an, an anomaly when it comes to school shootings. Um, so this was not a student who decided that he was going to take a gun to school and uh, purposely intend to kill people. Right. So um, the from the story, the, the story is, uh, I'll just read it here. The New York Post reported, Footage on social media allegedly showed the suspect getting into an altercation during class with another student that escalated to gunfire. The fight was broken up and the two students calmed down, but then the suspect pulled out a firearm from his orange backpack and fired several shots that struck three people. So here we have um, a student who got into an altercation, um, obviously not justifying bringing a gun to school. Obviously, that's that's a big no-no. Um, but th- this was somebody that was that brought a gun to school that probably wasn't intending on using it. Um, from what I've heard on social media, and I can't verify this, so, I mean, if you guys want to, I encourage you guys to do your own research because I feel like when this stuff comes out, we can't really trust the media cycle anymore to mm-hmm. give us the actual facts. Um, so I encourage you guys to do your own research, you know, reach out uh, reach out to people that you may know in the area or whatever. But I read a comment on uh, Facebook, I believe, about this, and Someone supposedly from Texas saying that he knows parents from this school. So it's like a he said, like kind of like down the chain kind of thing. But mm-hmm. supposedly this student was bullied. Um, so like he had multiple altercations with students and he felt like he couldn't defend himself. Again, not justifying bringing a gun to school. I mean, that that obviously is not the right thing. Um, but you can see how kind of this would play out from a judge's perspective. So a judge's job at this point in time is to deem whether or not he's going to be a, a, a violent criminal. If, mm-hmm. this is, if this is somebody that's going to be a repeat offender, um, then obviously you would you would have no bail. Um, but uh, this he was not charged with attempted murder or anything like that. He was a t- he was charged with three accounts of assault with 
aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Mm -hmm. So right. So I the it doesn't even have to be a he said she said situation because the his uh the suspect's attorney actually confirmed that the the kid had been uh, bullied. In oh, school. okay. So the so, attorney I did not know that the right, attorney did right. confirm this. Okay. Yeah. So the attorney uh, the the suspect's attorney did confirm this that uh, he had been bullied in school, and I believe actually his sister came out and said that uh, they had even had a hard time getting him to go to school recently mm. because the situation had gotten so bad. So it's really unfortunate, really unfortunate that uh, he felt kind of cornered or yeah. backed into this position. Uh, I think it really goes to to speak for why you should be talking about your kid or talking to your kids about this every yeah. day, you know, talking to your kids about what's going on at school, um, paying attention to the changes in their countenance, paying attention to changes in their behaviors and things like that. Because uh, a lot of times kids and, and teenagers, they don't feel comfortable talking to their parents about what's going on. And I think that sometimes they just don't realize that their parents are there and available for mm -hmm. them. They don't, you know, they just don't recognize that. So yeah. something to, to definitely talk to your kids about because you're going to get bullied always, you know, yeah. in, in every situation in life, there's always going to be somebody who's making fun of you or putting you down or treating you bad, whether it's in a workplace or whether it's socially or whether it's at school, it doesn't matter. That's always going to happen. There's always going to be those situations. So talking to kids about how to deal with those things and how to properly process them uh, in a way that doesn't lead to them yeah. getting in trouble or them uh, suffering consequences. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I wanted to bring this story up and kind of share exactly what happened because hopefully it, it could enlighten some people's opinions because I've seen a lot of people that have automatically gone the route that, oh, this kid, you know, fired a gun at people in school. He should mm -hmm. not have bail. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, equating it to some sort of like Columbine or something like that, where I think like this is a different situation. Um, it's the, the judge made a decision that this kid is not a an immediate threat to society and that, uh, you know, he he's not going to commit more violent crimes from what he could see, that this was a one time incident. And it's not like he was scot-free, right? I mean, it, even though he he made bail, uh, he has a GPS system on his ankle. He can't leave his house. Mm -hmm. And he's uh, subjected to regular alcohol and drug testing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he's going to be monitored 24-7. Right. Um, so this is just until He'll, his... I'm sure, end up with a record. Yep. He'll be on probation, if not serve some jail time. So, yeah. you know, he's, he's definitely going to and is already facing consequences for his actions. Right. You know, so definitely... Definitely something that's on. It's an unfortunate situation that happened in the first place. But you know, talk to your kids. Yeah. <laughs> talk yeah. to your kids about what's going on at school. You know, right. even if even if you have to be pushy about it, you know, talk to your kids about what's going on at school because they're not always just going to come to you with their with their issues and their problems. They're not always going to just bring it up. So. Yeah. Yeah. Before we move on, I I do want to point out some of the the problems I have with this. I do think that seventy five thousand dollars is kind of a ridiculously low bail, especially mm -hmm. considering um somebody like. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, who uh, was in really fired in self-defense, like it's proven on video that he fired his rifle in self-defense. Um, the videos are widely available. This is kind of pretty much common knowledge at this point. Mm -hmm. When he was at, he worked in Kenosha, and he uh, was, you know, after work, he wanted to make sure that people could peacefully protest and that they were safe from. Uh, people who are rioting and he was actually going to go to, I don't know if it was his workplace or a, a different workplace, but he, his intention, he had a med kit and everything like that. His intention was to, you know, kind of be there in case anybody needed anything, not planning on using his firearm. And he used his firearm in strictly self-defense and his bail was $2 million. Right. So, I mean, like you can see that the media cycle is kind of what dictates uh, kind of, uh, it, 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 
it almost like muddies a judge's perspective or a, a judge's opinion. Um, you know, whatever the media cycle is, uh, and, the, and and those who don't know, this student at Texas, he was he was a black kid. So I mean, like it, that's why it's I don't think is as prevalent as somebody if mm -hmm. it was a white student who decided doesn't quite fit the yeah, agenda. doesn't fit the agenda right. for the narrative uh, the, for the media right now. So that's kind of why I think that this is situation was handled the way it was. So I, I definitely uh, I, I'm fine with him getting meeting that bail. But I think just seventy five thousand dollars was just a little too low, especially if you equate it to somebody like Kyle Rittenhouse, in my mm -hmm. opinion. So sometimes too the um, financial situation Hmm. of a of a person might affect the the bail so yeah. if say if the the kid's family was like you know multi-millionaires yeah the yeah. bail probably would have been set much higher uh so that can also have an effect on the situation obviously i don't think that that had an effect on the kyle rittenhouse thing i think he was right. just yeah. railroaded because of of what was going on at the time so yeah. um but yeah yeah i definitely agree with you there yeah so uh another story we have uh that is making the rounds, and you might not have heard this because it was uh, kind of uh, suppressed on social media. Mm -hmm. uh, a young mom died from the COVID vaccine, and uh, her obituary was actually removed from social media uh, because the family called this out by name, saying that she uh, passed away from the COVID nineteen vaccine. Right, it was listed. It was yeah. listed right in her uh, obituary. Yeah, so she. She decided this young young mom, I think she was uh, uh, 37, 38, one of the two, I can't remember exactly, um, but uh, she died from the COVID-19 vaccine complications and uh, she got the vaccine because she was worried about the government mandate. Yeah, right. So uh, I believe she was mandated. I'm not sure if she fell up under the, the federal mandate 37. or if she, if she fell up under um, one of the, uh, the health care mandates or whatever, mm -hmm. but she, she fell up under some sort of mandate uh, to receive the vaccine in order to keep her job. And yeah. so she had not planned on getting it, but in order to save her job, she she did. And then she developed some blood clotting complications as a result of this. And this is not just her family that's saying this. This is actually uh, Washington state health officials that mm -hmm. have confirmed that she died uh, from complications from the... the uh, yeah. From the vaccine. Yeah. So, so this comes from the blaze. The a portion of the obituary read that Jessica Berg Wilson, 37 of Seattle, Washington, passed away un unexpectedly September 7th, 2021 from COVID-19 vaccine induced thrombotic thrombia symbia. I don't know. It's V-I-T-T. -T. So if you want to look that up, I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> Surrounded by her loving family. So uh, it, it's right in the obituary. It says that she passed away from COVID-19 vaccine complications. So. I mean, this is this is a crazy, crazy story, I think. Right. Right. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. Uh, I think that it kind of goes along with what a lot of people have been saying, that there are people who are dying of complications and they're just not being labeled actual uh, COVID-19 vaccination deaths. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing a lot of that there. I've, I've even seen some reports that say it's as high as 80,000 people have died from wow. complications. Holy now, cow. obviously, that's unconfirmed yeah. because yeah. so many state health officials refuse to confirm uh, some of the deaths as COVID-19 vaccine deaths. So well, we have to, you know, acknowledge acknowledge that that that's unconfirmed according to health officials. But yeah. that's the that's the number that I've seen uh, floating around recently. 
that they believe it's as high as that. And they also, um, interestingly enough to point out, if you actually died from a complication of receiving the COVID-19 vaccine within the first 14 days, um, most places won't label your death as a uh, vaccinated death. They label you as an unvaccinated death because Mm -hmm. you're not considered fully vaccinated until 14 days after receiving the second shot. So um, that's something else to point out. You could die within the first 14 days and they would label you as an unvaccinated death. And like, I mean, like, I, I don't know when she's, specifically got the vaccine but i can't imagine it would have been much farther out from 14 days it might might just be that in this case uh they made an exception because they didn't have uh, a way to get out of it you know it could just be that they didn't have anything else to point to um you know perfectly healthy woman dying of this blood clotting situation so yeah so, so I, I mean, can't, I can't confirm why yeah. Washington, the Washington health officials actually did label this a COVID-19 vaccination death, but they actually yeah. did. But like, it seems like convenient that, oh, if you die within 14 days of a vaccine, then it's unvaccinated. When right. like, that's probably when you would die right. from a vaccine if you were going to. Correct. <laughs> like, right. So, so it's kind of a, a little bit convenient there. Um, so I, I, I COVID, uh, I guess uh, repercussions have been in the media, not necessarily the pandemic itself, but the, a lot of stories. Another one, uh, Rochester man just right in our backyard, 75-year-old New York man died last weekend after hospital refused to give him the drug Invermectin. Ivermectin. The, Ivermectin in the last-ditch effort to save his life. So this is a man that was uh, suffering from COVID, mm-hmm. and uh, this is courtesy of the Daily Wire. Apparently, he had a court order to receive ivermectin and the hospital refused to treat him. Right. So he was uh he was actually a vaccinated individual. He had a severe case of covid and his he and his family uh petitioned the hospital to prescribe him ivermectin which um you know, people, if they talk about on YouTube, often um, have been taken down because mm-hmm. of their support for ivermectin. But there's been a lot of support with this in uh, the healthcare system from people who have who have worked with the drug. It's a drug that's been prescribed for like 20 years now for people for internal parasites. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also prescribed for horses for internal parasites. Yeah. So that's where this has come from. A lot of people say like, oh, you know, we're oh, not yeah. talking horse about medication. Yeah, it's horse medication. We're not talking about vets here. We're talking about actual doctors. So yeah. or, you know, which is crazy to me because that has to be like in school for like i don't know eight years or something (laughs) so but um the point being that this has been safely prescribed for the last 20 years in the u.s and it has seen they've seen a lot of uh they've seen a lot of success with ivermectin Mm. treating covid patients so that they are uh out of the hospital quicker or don't have to be hospitalized at all so his family petitioned the hospital to have him treated with ivermectin. They denied, they denied the pe- the petition, so okay. they took it to court, and a judge approved the treatment and approved him being prescribed this, and the hospital still refused to prescribe it. They pre- they refused so, to submit to the court So order. what's the deal with this? Like, it, this can't be just a political stunt, right? I mean, like, the, the so a judge is saying that you, you can give them this drug, that kind of alleviates them from any repercussion, right? Because right, a judge court orders them. <laughs> so if the if the hospital gives him this drug and then he dies from this drug, the hospital doesn't really have any repercussions for that. But they, the hospital refuses anyway. What gives? What the heck? So uh, crazy enough, there's been a lot of pushback from the government on ivermectin. Mm. So from the research that I've done, some of the, uh, the healthcare officials that I've listened to, from what I understand, the government has actually... Um, has actually strongly 
encouraged mm. <laughs> doctors and hospitals not to, to prescribe ivermectin. They don't want it being used in cases for COVID. They don't want it being used at all. And in fact, it's gotten so bad that if you find a doctor who will prescribe ivermectin, it's actually hard to find a pharmacy who will fulfill the prescription. Wow. So it's it's gotten really bad. Uh, they've actually even um, from from reports, mm -hmm. un, unconfirmed in government reports, um, they've actually uh, encouraged the maker or the the drug company that makes ivermectin to not make it. Mm. And uh, wow. they've the, there's been some some money thrown around, and so there's a lot of conspiracy. So there's a monetary incentive to not make ivermectin. Right. right. So there's hmm. there's a lot of conspiracy here. There's a lot of people like you know, especially like the people who are very you know anti COVID vaccine, uh, COVID nineteen vaccines. A lot of people talking about the fact that this medication is being denied to people in America um, for healthcare because the government does not want it used to treat COVID-19 because what happens is that it has such a good effect in treating COVID-19 that people are hesitant to get vaccinated yeah. because they know they can be treated with ivermectin. Now, in the same respect, the government has actually been sending ivermectin into third world countries to help treat their cases of mm. COVID. So Mexico has had well, a lot of success. It's good enough for India, but it's not good enough for America. Right. So, <laughs> so yes, the government's actually spent millions of dollars sending this into third world countries. So they've sent, um, they've sent it into third world countries. Mexico has had a lot of success with it. India has almost Almost exclusively treated with this because they actually can't afford the the COVID nineteen vaccines. Yeah. So uh, unlike here in America, where our government is spending like just millions of dollars vaccinating every person that they possibly can, um, they might even vaccinate your dog next. Who knows? <laughs> but they uh, they can't actually afford to do that in India. So India has almost exclusively treated with ivermectin, and they've seen such great results in it. So this is an unfortunate situation, and there's actually been other cases where judges have put a court order in and the person has been prescribed ivermectin and recovered very quickly from COVID-19. So mm. we're seeing like kind of a, a mismatch. I'm curious to see if the if the family is able to sue the hospital for right. malpractice yeah. now because they refuse to submit to the court order. Yeah, I was so just thinking really that. interesting. So like the, the hospital had a way out to protect themselves and now right. they decided not to you know, we take that route and now they're subjected to maybe a lawsuit. I'm curious also to see if the government will put any kind of protection uh, hmm. behind them because it's been at their insistence that ivermectin not be used in, yeah. in treatment of COVID patients. So a lot of controversy surrounding ivermectin, uh, whether uh, or not it's, it's safe, but it seems that it does combat uh, COVID mm -hmm. uh, from what we've seen in the short term. But uh, on the contrary, the government is not talking about other ne negative effects with a certain vaccine, and that is the Moderna vaccine. So uh, several Nordic countries, including like Sweden and countries like them, have actually put a pause on Moderna because we've now seen uh, they, they deem that there's been enough cases where there's heart inflammation. So this was uh, a few months ago. I think this this was in the cycle about very, very small cases about heart inflammation. Um, but now it seems that it's uh, happened enough where these countries decided to put a pause. So if you're 30 years or younger you could have a risk of being of having heart inflammation from Moderna's vaccine. Right. So uh, I believe my understanding is that Sweden has uh, paused it for anybody oh, okay. 30 years or younger. Yep. 
Uh, Denmark has announced something similar that they're pausing for anybody 18 years or younger. And Finland, I believe, has followed suit of Sweden where they were pausing it for um, for males oh, okay. 30 years and younger. So, so Sweden, that's what I thought that this was predominantly like in young men, right? So they're seeing it more in young men, but I have seen reports of women also suffering from mm. the, from the same thing, particularly young women, um, 18, 19, 20. So like very, very young, like the uh, later later teens and yeah. and uh, young 20s is where I w- I've seen it a lot, but I've seen it more so in young men. So they're they're looking at the effects. They've had enough cases of this that they actually are linking the cause of it to the Moderna vaccine and have decided to not allow anybody under the age in, in Sweden, anyone under the age of 30, in Finland, any males under the age of 30, and then yeah. in, um, in uh, Denmark, anyone under the age of 18. So they're just seeing a lot of these cases happening enough that they're linking it back to uh, Moderna. Luckily for Moderna, Moderna doesn't actually <laughs> face any charges, at least in, uh, yeah. at least in the U.S. The government right. has... Uh, has, uh, yeah, they're not allowed to be sued concerning yeah. the COVID vaccine. So, yeah, I mean, like, scot-free. the reason why we're tracking these stories, you know, the Moderna suspension, you know, people who uh, pass away for not getting, you know, medicine and a woman who actually died from the COVID vaccine. Reason, uh, one of the reasons why I like tracking these stories is because not to build a case that we're anti-vax. That's not the point. I mean, well, I, I, I'm very pro-vaccine. I know you're pro-vaccine. Um, if you think the COVID vaccine is best for your health, I encourage you to go down that route. I'm not going to steer you any other way. Um, but the reason why we bring up these kinds of stories is because this is we're, we're, this is contrary to what we're being told by our government, contrary to what we're being told by the fourth estate, contrary to what we're being told by our politicians. Uh, by most mainstream media. Most mainstream media, things like that. And, and we want to bring these stories to light because it, it builds a case that we – as, as Americans and as a free society should be able to choose. We should right. be able to make a risk assessment. And we're we're seeing that, oh, the, uh, vaccine's good, vaccine's good, vaccine's good, vaccine's good. We're constantly being regurgitated the same thing that the vaccine is the answer. Mm-hmm. When there's people out there, including myself, that I'm hesitant because I don't want to have an inflamed heart. I, right. I, I would rather have the risk of of contracting COVID-19 mm-hmm. than to put something in my body that could potentially do damage or harm to my personal. Yeah. And interestingly enough, um, the, these cases of, of uh, myocardia, I believe is how it's pronounced. Mm. Um, but since, you know, I never got a medical degree, <laughs> don't quote me on that. But myocardia, I believe, is how it's pronounced, this heart inflammation. In some cases, uh, patients can recover and have no long-term effects. In other cases, patients actually have life lifetime wow. heart yeah. issues from this. So we're not talking about something that's just a, a small side yeah. effect that you would have yeah. to deal with for a certain period of time. Um, it's something that you could carry with you for the but rest still, of your like, life. But still, like, I mean, I, I'm not a doctor. So, I mean, I'm not here to give anybody medical advice. But to me, that's, I'm, I'm not saying that from a, a frightened point of view. But like, to me... It just seems like it's too much of a risk for me for something that has get, that's going to high survival rate that has a high survival rate mm-hmm. that's going to give me maybe like flu uh, like symptoms for a few mm-hmm. days. Worst case scenario, maybe I get put in an IV for a day or something like well, that. I mean, worst case scenario, you could die. But <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> but I feel like, like in a, in in most case most scenarios, case scenarios, yeah, I should say. A, a very unlikely scenario, I could die from COVID. Yes, um, but uh, I would say like. The most, I guess, the most uh, uh, highly, you know, a percentage worst case scenario, I guess, like would be 
that I'd be hospitalized. I don't quite understand the English you're saying to me right now, <laughs> but I do get what you're saying. Yeah. That in, in some rare cases with young people, young healthy people, that, that they might be hospitalized or they yeah. might be put on um, some sort of uh, some sort of treatment in the hospital. So that does happen in, in some cases with young people. In most cases with young healthy people, they are, uh, yeah. they are not hospitalized. Right. In some cases, they have no idea they even have COVID because it just feels yeah. like yeah. A, a severe cold or, um, you know, flu-like symptoms. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that's uh, that's been mixed up about, you know, COVID, about the vaccines and all of that. But I think it's important to talk about these things that are happening because, first off, people who are talking about it are made out to be conspiracy theorists. Yeah, and right. we're seeing now that they're not conspiracy theorists. We're seeing now that these things are actually true, that these things are actually happening. Um, I never believed that a lot of it was conspiracy theory. I thought a lot of it had some credibility behind it that was being suppressed. Um, but now we're seeing, you know, we're seeing countries actually backing this. So yeah. it's interesting to, to point that out interesting to bring it up and i think it you know it's important to talk about it but actually also in covid news there's a new drug right that they're using to treat covid that has kind of just um yep. emerged yep. i believe there, it was developed for the flu yeah there uh so this this new drug was experimental for the for influenza and it's now in phase three trial um and uh, i man we practiced this uh before and oh, i can't i can't remember how to molnu molnu Puravir. Puravir. Yes. Molnupiravir. That's what it, yeah, we so, got it. <laughs> yeah. So this new drug is called Molnupiravir and uh, supposedly in. Molnupiravir. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just let you say it. Yeah. Mal Molnupiravir. Molnupiravir. There you go. <laughs> so in this phase three study, this is courtesy of CNBC. Uh, the study found that 7.3% of patients treated with Molnupiravir were hospitalized within 29 days. Of the patients who received a placebo, 14.1% were hospitalized or died by day 29. Mm -hmm. No deaths were reported in the patients who were given the molnupiravir within the 29-day period, while eight deaths were reported in the placebo-treated patients. So I, I, this, there, with, these, with this phase three study, the uh, basically the takeaway is that the hospitalizations or death rate has been reduced to about 50% mm -hmm. less with this drug. Um, so, I mean, if this is sustainable, if this is something that could be done in a larger scale, that would be huge. Right. Um, considering that, you know, most uh, demographics are 98% likely to survive, if we can get that to like a 99%. So, could you imagine right. like somebody 50, 60 has a 99 instead of a 98? That, that's huge. That's like, that's really good. So, right. I mean, if we can get there. And of course, this isn't going to be talked about by everybody because mm. this is contrary to the agenda of the vaccines being the end-all, be-all. Right. Um, so this is just another another little nugget in your corner. Um, that but, he, I mean, once again, it's interesting to point out that our 75-year-old man from Rochester was a, was a vaccinated individual right. and died of COVID-19 complications because the hospital refused to prescribe a different kind of medication for him. Yeah. So it, I think that it's great that there's more medications coming out. There's more things that they're going to be at, be able to advocate for with healthcare. And I, and I think that um, the more that we're seeing results with this in unvaccinated and vaccinated people, the mm -hmm. more these treatments are going to be widely available for people. So so it's going to be kind of similar to, you know, some people don't get uh, the flu shot, but they can get prescribed Tamiflu. I think it's Tamiflu is yep. the uh, is the medication yep. that treats the flu. So within, uh, I believe it's 48 hours because after that, you're not, you can't be treated for the flu. But within 48 hours, you're able to receive Tamiflu and that helps to lessen the symptoms and help you to recover quicker from the flu. So I think, I'm hoping that what we'll begin to see both in vaccinated and unvaccinated people um, is is this kind of type, type yeah. of medical care taking 
hangover where you're able to be prescribed something to take care of it. Interestingly enough, um, actually, I can't remember where it was uh, this week that a hospital, Colorado, a hospital system in Colorado is now refusing to do organ transplants on people who are unvaccinated. So recently a a woman who was on the transplant list for a kidney transplant was denied her kidney transplant because she was unvaccinated. And so the, the, um, this, healthcare system in Colorado has determined that it's important that you get vaccinated because you have, I believe it's a 14% chance of catching um, or, or contracting COVID after a uh, an organ transplant. Yeah. So now they're requiring all of their organ transplant recipients to Yeah, she was taken uh, off receive, the list. Yes, yeah, she was taken off the list. So it was it was uh was notified that she was no longer qualified yeah. for an organ transplant in their medical system. And that's actually interesting to point out because we have talked about this in the past that um one of the concerns that we have is that unvaccinated people will become kind of a second class citizen when it comes to yeah. receiving health care. That certain healthcare systems can either um, push back their health care or deny them health care altogether. And we actually have just seen that in Colorado this week with a woman yeah. uh, unable to receive her kidney transplant because she was unvaccinated. Yeah. So. Crazy things going around surrounding the vaccine. Right. Um, we have one more one more story here about COVID and then we'll we'll put it we'll put it to rest for this week. <laughs> um, but this is this was really interesting. This comes from Times of Israel. Israel concluded a study at the end of August, I believe, uh, yeah, August 25th, around that time, um, that they dis- they discovered that uh, you are 27%, tw- I'm sorry, 27 times more likely uh, to be uh, protected with more effective, natural immunity is 27% more effective than you got vaccine. It. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> wow. I couldn't get that out. So, They've just they deemed that natural immunity is 27 times more effective than the Pfizer vaccine than getting two doses of the Pfizer vaccine. So um, and the same study showed that vaccinated is 13 times more likely to be hospitalized than being naturally uh, than having natural immunity. So this this study is pretty interesting to me and is kind of going along the lines of what uh, middle-of-the-road politicians and right-leaning politicians are talking about, mm-hmm. about having choice and um, whether or not you sh- you should get the vaccine for your health or whether you want to take your chances with national immunity. And right. this was kind of my thing from the get-go. This is one of the main reasons why I lost my job was because I preferred to go this route of natural immunity than to get a vaccine. That's just mm-hmm. my personal choice. And it's starting to show that, you know, that natural immunity is actually effective, contrary to what Fauci has been saying, contrary to what we've been seeing in the media cycle. Right. So according to this article, people who had two vaccine shots had a six-fold higher chance of getting the Delta variant than patients who had not been vaccinated but had previously contracted the coronavirus and mm. recovered. So that's that's pretty interesting there, especially considering that the White House has been telling us for weeks now that the unvaccinated are actually killing the right. vaccinated um, with breakthrough cases when it's actually now being shown that the un, that the vaccinated are sixfold more likely to get 
the Delta variant than somebody who has previously recovered from COVID-19. And I think that it's also interesting to point out that these mandates don't actually take natural immunity into consideration. So if you've previously had coronavirus and you still have um, you still have the antibodies in your system, it doesn't matter. You would still have to receive the COVID-19 vaccination, even though your immunity right now would naturally be more effective than the vaccine. Yeah. So So it's it's funny. Follow the science. Yeah. Follow the science. (laughs) Follow the science. So, so I but, wonder if this is um, one of the angles that uh, whenever this – if this has to be brought to court, these mandates, if this is going to be one of the angles where, hey, like natural immunity has been proven to be better, more effective than the vaccine in certain situations – uh, why is it that you're forcing people who have already contracted COVID to get a shot when it right. seems like they're more protected and they're actually uh, spreading it less than somebody who hasn't gotten COVID but has gotten vaccine? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it'll, it'll be interesting. Excuse me. It'll be interesting to see um, like a little hiccup there. Uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see uh, what what really becomes of this. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, this weekend for the entertainment, we got a couple stories. Uh, Daily Wire reported that the U.K., uh, sport finds trans athletes should not compete against women. So uh, saying that testosterone suppression does not negate the physical advantage. So this is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, UK of all places, I think. Is yeah, very surprising. I know. That's what that what that kind of shocked me. But yeah. I guess the fact that uh, America is going so you know uh, woke or broke, I yeah. think that uh, <laughs> you you can't really expect anything like this to come out of uh, our studies anytime mm-hmm. soon because it's it's. It's it's woke or nothing right now. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. So, but yeah, coming out of the UK, which is you know ironically enough, the UK has been very woke for mm-hmm. the last uh, few years. I would say probably the better part of a decade now, and they're kind of reeling in from the results yeah. of their wokeness, and now we're we're seeing kind of the same behavior uh, in America. So now you're you're seeing. You're seeing the UK come out with a study that says, hey, guess what? You shouldn't allow transgendered men, people yeah. who trans from uh, from a male to a female, to compete against female athletes. And the reason being is that although they have testosterone blockers, blocking testosterone does not actually block their physical advantage, yeah. Yeah. which is right. something that all of us sane people have been talking about for a long time. So, you know, yes, you know, testosterone makes a difference in the male body versus the female body, but removing testosterone or lowering testosterone levels does not negate the full physical advantage of a male to a female. Right. I mean, like it it, it just takes the anatomy, like the, if you're talking about endurance, like the lungs are still bigger. I mean, you still have bigger muscles. I mean, so like the fact that, you know, and the fact that just suppressing a, uh, t- just suppressing testosterone is not the defining factor of the the strength capabilities of a of a of of a biological male versus a biological woman. I mean, like this is this is obviously, you know, follow the science, like we've been right. saying. Like this is obviously not not a, a, a fair playing field. And I think that the UK is. I think they've they've reached an impasse, saying that okay, like enough is enough. Where yeah. like even though it goes like. Hopefully, it goes against what they believe politically. It it also goes way past common sense that they they felt like they actually had to say something about it because mm-hmm. I mean the UK is still a pretty predominantly you know sport oriented, especially in the international community. They take their they take their Olympic sports very seriously. They mm-hmm. take soccer very seriously, and or they call it football over there. <laughs> um, but so like I think that. That seeing this infused in their sports, they're very adamant about these things. I think that 
you know, it, as soon as it, it, it changes the culture and stirs up the pot too much, I think that's mm-hmm. when they put a stop to it. So Right. And I think this culture that we have in America right now where we're encouraging trans, transgendered men to compete against females, I think that that has encouraged a lot of female athletes to stop competing. Yeah. And I think that that's yeah. a shame that um, it's really uh, right now there's this uh, this culture in america that is discouraging women from being women and that's unfortunate so Mm -hmm. you know hopefully we're gonna see some uh results from these kind of studies coming out even more and some some uh, sense coming back to people i think uh you know for time's sake here we might want to jump to football yeah you know speaking of soccer yeah (laughs) (laughs) we might want to jump to football yeah uh so this week the uh the steelers play the Broncos, and uh, I think uh, you guys are at uh, our home, correct? Yes, we are at the at the uh, at the Steelers Stadium, Heinz Field. Field, That's what it is. I almost called it Mustard Field. (laughs) Mustard, yeah. But I mean, it's close. Ketchup too, and relish. But yes. Oh my gosh, I would love to just go to Heinz Field and be like relish the field. Yeah, relish the field. Oh wow! I thought you were gonna say I'd love to go to Heinz Field, (laughs) and instead of dressing up as Steelers gear, we dress up as like mustard and ketchup. That would be embarrassing <laughs> as a as a fan of <laughs> Pittsburgh football. I guess if I was a Broncos fan, though, I would find it hilarious. Oh, oh got him. Ooh, <laughs> all right. All right. So um, just so you know, ESPN said that we have a 51% chance of winning. I think I'm the score would be 21 you. to 20, I think they said. 21, 21 to 20. They think it's going to be that close, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, Steelers, I mean, Steelers I, have a ne- uh, one point advantage. So the spread is negative one. I think, to be honest with you, I think that this game really could go either way. I think yeah. that I've, I think you've seen enough improvement. I mean, the Broncos suffered their first loss last week, but we knew it was going to be a tough game. And uh, the fact that your quarterback, quarterback, uh, Terry Bridgewater, correct? Teddy Bridgewater. Um, he was, uh, he was taken out of the game at halftime, correct, from an injury. Yeah, yeah, he so, had a concussion. I'm just looking that up now. I actually, the uh, Ravens. Uh, I don't know how to say. Oh, Odoff. Owen. Oh, oh, who? Oh, who? Odoff. Odoffy. Odoffy. Is it Odoff? I don't know. Odoffy. I don't know. Anyways, the guy that hit Teddy names. Bridgewater. I just saw this. Got an eleven thousand dollar fine for the hit that concussed him. Right. Yeah. Which is not surprising coming out of the the Ravens. It's it's part of the reason why we can't stand them so much. But <laughs> so, um. But yeah. So your quarterback was taken out uh, midway through the game. So I think. You know, you guys definitely, if he's back to 100%, I think this game really yeah, could go either this. way. I don't. Um, I don't know. By the time people watch this, the game's already over anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the Steelers are, are having just a major, major uh, O line issue and mm-hmm. and they're because of that there's just so much pressure on ben to get rid of the ball very quickly and he doesn't have time to make those good accurate throws like we're used to seeing out of him so it's really unfortunate that this o-line is really holding the team back from doing any kind of uh any kind of work offensively yeah. uh the the good thing going for them is that your guys's defense tends to struggle a little bit so um but your run defense looks really good and that's going to be a problem for the steelers because yeah, our the pass steelers defense have... is a little weak because we've had injuries in the secondary Correct. but our run defense is pretty solid right now we're still four overall in defense um i think though the deciding factor is going to be if teddy bridgewater plays i don't think it'll be a competitive game if teddy bridgewater's not no i i agree with you i think drew lock just doesn't really have what it takes to be uh, a number one quarterback right now and i think that you know we've seen that with him being placed as the as the uh the number two um and we saw that last week he was very uh very scared 
on the field. Yeah. He, he looked very scared to like, be out I, there. I, I go back to every time I see him play, I go back to what you said when he when he first got injured. I think it was his collarbone or whatever. He got yeah, in, shoulder in, or collarbone. Shoulder or yeah. collarbone. Yeah, I think it might have been his shoulder. Um, but it, you said that, you know, he's he's never been the same. And that's exactly yep. right. He'd never he didn't play with the tenacity, mm-hmm. the chip on his shoulder, the you know, the 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 confidence right he never got just, that bad up to that point i was actually very impressed with him i yeah. thought that he had a lot of confidence on the field for someone so young and someone so inexperienced and yeah. it seemed like that hit just really like scared him and i think yeah. he's afraid to be injured to the extent of not being able to play football so much so that he's not playing football yeah so i think we're really seeing that out of drew lock hopefully he's able to shake out of that funk because we have seen players really kind of tank their own careers with this same kind of mentality that they're scared to get hit again Uh, so hopefully he's able to shake that off but yeah i think it'll be a determining factor whether teddy bridgewater plays um so i think it'll be a real if he does play it's going to be a really competitive game Mm -hmm. because the uh, steelers o-line is not very good they don't have a good run game going on and your run defense is great so i think that it's going to be really hard for them to get any kind of running yards uh it's probably going to be a lot of passing and when you're doing a lot of passing you know who to cover so i think that it's going to be interesting both sides of the offense there on the on the other side of that uh tj watt and um highsmith now tj well tj watt is back yes uh highsmith is back but tj watt and who's your uh the guy I love to always see get Von Miller. Von Miller. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm like, what is his name? Uh, T.J. Watt and Von Miller have almost identical stats in um, in sacks and tackles and things this year. The only thing that uh, um, really separates them is that uh, T.J. Watt has a few more uh, force fumbles, a mm-hmm. couple more force force fumbles than uh, than. Um, Von Miller. Miller does. So yeah. I think it'll be really interesting. I I always love to see a Von Miller sack. Of course, I would hate to see it <laughs> against my own quarterback. But I just love to see it. They're always so fierce and so ferocious. And the same with uh, the same with TJ Watt. I love to see a TJ Watt sack. It just energizes the whole stadium. So it'll be really interesting to see what our defenses do against these quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah, maybe so a heavily defensive game. Maybe um, I do agree with you that the, you know there's probably going to be a lot of pass attempts. The thing I'm worried about though is that you know with Ben. Uh, it, they have been really working him, I think, way mm. too much, uh, considering the the point of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was uh, to some the I, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, but you guys you guys lost the game, and he had over fifty passing attempts. And yeah. when I saw that statistic, I was like, "Wow, somebody his age should not be throwing the ball fifty times mm-hmm. a game." Right. That's why they brought on Najee Harris. That was supposed to be like our big number one draft because it was supposed Mm. to alleviate some of the pressure on Ben. Unfortunately, they didn't work on the O-line very well. So what's happening is Najee Harris is not able to generate those running yards and it's it's putting a lot of pressure on Ben to create all of the yardage and passing yards. Um, I think they kind of thought if they got Najee Harris because he was so good in college football that he would be able to fly over the defense, and unfortunately he hasn't developed those wings yet. Something about Red Bull doesn't actually give you wings. <laughs> I don't know. But um, so, yeah, so that's really, really hurt us. So it, yeah. it'll be inter- – I think it is, it's going to be an interesting game. My yep. prediction is uh, my prediction is 24-21 Steelers. Okay, 24-21 Steelers. I'm going to go with man I I I really after last week's loss it really hurt my confidence in my team. Um so I think the only way we can win is if we hold you guys to 10 points. So I'm mm-hmm. going to I'm going to say 13-10 Broncos. 
1310 Broncos. 1310 Broncos. So you're you're predicting a very low scoring game. Yeah, I think a low scoring game. I think we'll see some defensive plays, maybe a couple turnovers on each side of the ball. Um maybe TJ Watt get like a strip strip fumble or something like that and Ben Roethlisberger throwing interceptions something like that. You know, I think the, that'll be a very defensive game. I think it'll come down to the wire. Um I honestly think that, you know, it, it, the game could be 10-10 throughout the whole thing, and then one team or the other gets a field goal at the end. I think that's kind of the the uh, atmosphere of the game. I think that's how it'll play out. Um, otherwise, if it's anything else, I think the Steelers will blow Broncos out of the water. Interestingly enough, uh, that's that's a pretty similar pretty similar gameplay to what we saw when we went to Denver, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah, the last game that we saw where, uh, where uh, Steelers faced... The Broncos, where yeah. we actually saw it live, I should say. It wasn't the last time we faced the, the Broncos, but Steelers yeah. faced Broncos in Mile High Stadium. It was a very defensive-heavy game. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so good predictions. Yeah. I think we are, like, blowing our time here with this episode. Yeah. Everybody's, yeah, we gotta, as, everybody's, everybody's asleep. Everybody's asleep. <laughs> <laughs> football, football uh, Sunday night football already started, and yeah, they're, they're already yeah, tuned out. So. late, man. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Yeah, you guys have a good night. Thanks for sticking with us, and we'll see you next week.